Hello and welcome to the podcast that talks all things football, all things Saints. This week we'll be discussing the draw against Brighton that occurred just last night, whilst also looking ahead to the South Coast derby that's not a derby against our neighbours Bournemouth. On top of that, we'll be sharing our opinions on the new home and third kits, as well as the uh, goalkeeper kits released by Saints just last week, as well as rounding up the transfer rumours that have been going around recently regarding the club. And we'll just finish off with uh, discussing the breaking news that fans could be returning to Premier League and Football League grounds as early as October. Without further ado, my name's Callum Wilson. My name is Tom Murray. This is Under the Lights and we're heading off to Kingston Corner. Callum, it's Friday, it's the end of the week, it's sunny outside and we potentially have a massive weekend of football ahead of us. But before we get into that, how nice is it just to get to that end of the week? Oh yeah, yeah, brilliant. It's been a busy week. I've actually, I'm doing some overtime tomorrow, but I'm um, happy to kick back and watch some football. We've got uh, West Brom against Huddersfield, which is kicking off any minute now at the time of recording uh, and that's obviously a big game because if they slip up Brentford are in with a chance of sneaking in and if they do slip up then we will confirm the inevitable that Leeds United will be returning to the Premier League after what is it 16 years in the wilderness which uh, which will be huge ahead of next season and uh, as if that's not enough you've also got a, a basement clash between West Ham and Watford and depending on what happens there the likes of uh, Aston Villa and Bournemouth could potentially be dead and buried by the next game at the weekend. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm great. The uh, work has been hectic. It suddenly the workload increased from Wednesday onwards to a manic level. So I'm really, I was really glad to for the clock to hit five and just to clock out for the week. I'm looking forward to the games this weekend. As I said, it's nice and sunny outside. I'm going to chill for this evening, see what happens tomorrow. But then all eyes on Sunday towards the vitality as Saints face Bournemouth. So, Callum, on Thursday, yesterday, you and I were on the mic for Alamite Sport as Saints took on Brighton at home. In a much-changed 11, Saints ended up drawing one all with their South Coast neighbours. How did you see the game going? The risk of coming out with the biggest Alan Hansen cliché Ever. It was literally was a game of, of two halves, wasn't it? I thought at the first half it was a typical flat performance at home from Saints. Uh, like you said, many changes and uh, there's a lack of fluidity from um, from the home side with the, the young players coming in and uh, and five changes. So half the outfield players really uh, rested, and I thought that showed. I thought Brighton did a really good job in uh, in terms of tactically outwitting really Saints to, to start with played three at the back matched us up in midfield with a four and then of course played Glenn Murray as the out ball that we were really lacking in the first half with the likes of Obafemi and Ings only getting the long balls up against those three big centre-backs so Brighton really uh, deservedly 1-0 up at half-time we said at the time watching the game together that the changes were needed Ralph Haas and Hurtle obviously thought the same double substitution a couple more First team players brought in, and uh, we thought the introduction of Carl Walker Peters gave us more balance. I thought Hoybier being moved into the centre. Actually, I think he, he was our best player. He had the most touches by country mile, and he looked much more composed. And in the second half, Southampton really could have run away with it. I mean, the chances that they had, there were just loads of them, and it was quite good to see because we struggled to break sides down like Brighton at home. The second half could have been five or six, and that's that's not really exaggerating. Not at all. And you know, Ings hit the post. Adams missed some chances where the ball came at him really, really quickly, and it was difficult to react. But uh, maybe a man in form like Danny Ings would have reacted quickest to pop those away. Either so, you know, Ings did find a leveler. I mean, in in previous years and earlier in this season, I think Saints would have succumbed to a one nil defeat in those types of games. They would have huffed and puffed for the second half, done all they could, but. In the end, it would have been too late. But Saints did find the breakthrough with Danny Ings's 20th Premier League goal of the season to become just the second player since James Beattie in the 02-03 season to reach that figure in the Premier League. One part of the game, one moment in the game that I think stood out for both you and I 
was, I mean, I've seen it back a couple of times, but that save from Matthew Ryan against Yannick Vestergaard, who hit a swerving belter from about 40 yards, has got to be save of the season for me. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's, I haven't seen a save that good in, in a while, uh, especially live in a, a match involving Saints. And um, I watched BT Sport, uh, I think Steve Sidwell was waxing lyrical about it as well and said he hasn't seen a save that good. I mean, the strike could not have been any better from Vestergaard. I thought I had a poor game and that really would have um, paved over the, the cracks really. But he he's hit that absolutely perfectly, swerving away. It's hit so hard, couldn't have hit it any better and it was almost posted postage stamp stuff and to get the slightest fingertip on it to push it onto the underside of the crossbar I mean there was no room for error there and it was an absolutely fantastic save but again that was another chance that Saints had you know even even, even the likes of Vokins and Walker Peters with attempts and, and crosses and, and just missing that shot Vokins early in the second half Southampton in the end with 21 shots to Brighton's 10, six on target to only two from from Brighton, and that really shows how more more dominant we were and how much we came into the game. And like you said, didn't didn't necessarily have that character, especially at home prior to the restart and uh, and last season. But I think it bodes really really well for Saints because what we do lack is the ability to break sides down. We've talked on the, this podcast before about how Saints struggle against a team that puts everyone behind the ball. And when Brighton went 1-0 up, we knew that's what we were in for. Um, so to create that many chances was really pleasing to see. And hopefully that's something that we can address for next season because the away form's great, the home form isn't. But judging by yesterday, that uh, that looks like improving. And it wasn't the, c- the lack of chances created, but it was more the, the finishing touch yesterday. So um, I was really pleased with the second half. And like you said, 20 goals for Ings. Only James Beatty has done that. This century, of course, Matt Letizia did it as well in the mid-90s, but I believe that may have been over more games. But uh, let's see if he can beat James Beattie's 23 from the last two games. He needs three goals from Bournemouth away, Sheffield United at home. And I fancy him to, to bag at least a goal at Bournemouth, which is our, our next game on Sunday. Yeah, it's uh, arguably the most exciting game that Saints had in the uh, in their last five, as it were. Especially being safe from relegation, not anything to uh, really to play for from a neutral looking in. But as uh, as Saints fans, obviously it depends a lot on the result tonight uh, between West Ham and Watford. Just what the permutations are for Sunday. If, if they were to draw tonight then, of course, that would mean a loss for Bournemouth on Sunday would see them return to the Championship after a five-year stay in the Premier League. Now, what's your opinion of the derby that isn't a derby? Are you of the opinion that it's going to be quite funny for Southampton to send them down? Or are you of the opinion that you don't mind Bournemouth and if it was any other team than Saints to put them down, it just wouldn't have the same feeling about it? Yeah, and that was, um, that was a point up on, on Twitter by um, a Norwegian saint, which was uh, that really he, he'd like to see Bournemouth staying in, in the Premier League as they're not really a rival. To be honest, I could do with or without them. They're really, there's just another team in the league for Saints. It would be nice to get a win. And on that basis, if that means that Bournemouth go down, then that means Bournemouth go down. I mean, there, there is no rivalry there. Bournemouth see it a different way. And certainly the last two seasons where really the boot really was on the other foot and they had the opportunity in the last couple of seasons to send Saints down as it were both times Saints managed to find that great determination that they've had over the years to stave off uh, the relegation this time Southampton are the team in form they're the ones ruling the south coast and Bournemouth have had a really poor season and I do fancy Saints to uh to get the three points and effectively condemn the cherries to the drop. Yeah, and in his press conference today, Ralph Hasenhutl, it was confirmed that those who were rested against Brighton will be coming back into the side for Saints away at Bournemouth. So your likes of Ryan Bertrand, who has run so much in the last few games, especially against Manchester United, and certainly well-deserved his rest. You'd imagine that although they came on in the second half, the likes of Stuart Armstrong and Carl Walker-Peters will also return to the side. And it'll be interesting to see what happens regarding the strike partnership. Obviously, Danny Ings chasing the golden boot, three goals off Jamie Vardy, three goals off equaling James Beattie's total. However, he did play the, uh, the vast majority of the game against Brighton. I think he played all 90 minutes 
Um, so that will be his fourth or fifth in a row for Danny Ings. And although he's shown incredible fitness and shown such an increase in his fitness level since the restart, obviously Saints will need to make sure that he's up and running for next season as well and need to protect him as someone who has been so frequently injured in the years before, whether it'll be interesting to see if he does start against Bournemouth. I imagine that he will. I would, in fact, start him probably alongside Shane Long because Bournemouth, I mean, no matter what the result tonight is, Bournemouth, they have to win on Sunday. They A draw doesn't do them any good. They're away to Everton, who are they're a bit up and down at the moment in terms of form, but they're still a good side. And I think because Bournemouth, it's almost the ideal away game for Southampton because they love playing away from home. They love it when the other team has the ball. Bournemouth are not very good on the ball and defensively are pretty awful. They're missing Nathan Ake, a, you know, they're almost a talismanic defender. They're missing a lot of key player, other key players as well. Bournemouth have to come at Saints and the likes and the energy of Shane Long and Danny Ings, Stuart Armstrong, Nathan Redmond. I just feel that it's almost the, the the signs are pointing almost too much to a Saints win. I still think that Bournemouth, as they showed against Leicester, have the opportunity and you know the ability and they have the confidence at the moment to spring a surprise result. But from the outside looking in, I think it's got a Saints win written all over it. Well, and, and inevitably that means that that's not what that's not what uh, is going to happen. It never ends up going to the form book. But I think if Danny Ings starts uh, against a defence where there's no Nathan Aki. Uh, but also no Mepham, no Daniels, no Francis. Smith is doubtful. I mean, they've been playing play injuries, Bournemouth, and, and Nathan Aki is their best player. So for him not to play, Danny Ings will be uh, confident of getting chances. And when he gets chances this season, they inevitably end up in the back of the net. So Bournemouth will be running scared uh, at that thought, I would imagine. But look, Bournemouth this season, the way that they've played and, and some of the performances we've seen for them, especially post-lockdown, I, I don't want to say they deserve to go down, but I don't think they can have any uh, any qualms with, with relegation at the end of it. I mean, they've got 31 points in 36 games, which is a meagre return. And with Saints and Everton left... For me, I mean, they'll, they'll be looking at tonight's game and they'll they'll be hoping that West Ham beat Watford because uh, they're both three points ahead, but West Ham have a better goal difference. So they'll hope that Watford lose and that puts them three points behind them. They'll be, they'll be hoping that Watford lose by a considerable amount because uh, they're four goals behind. Sorry, they're, yeah, they're four points behind in the goal difference. If Watford do lose and Bournemouth lose to Saints, there is still a chance providing Watford lose again, that they could catch them up and finish level on points. However, they really do need at least a draw and and they'll be pushing for a win, which I think is what is going to play into Saints' hands because we know away from home, Southampton are great. Fifth best record in the league away from home, joint with Wolves actually, but slightly worse on the goal difference. But for me, yeah, I think if Bournemouth attack, and I think they will, Away from home, Saints have come up against that a number of times and they will exploit that. Um, they will hit you on the break and they will press. A Bournemouth side that do like to play from the back, Eddie Howe encourages that. And especially without the likes of uh, Francis and Smith and especially Ake, if they do continue to try and do that with the second choice set of defenders, then I can see the likes of Ings and whoever's partnered, partnering in the number nine, I expect them to, um, to have a bit of a field day. And in the end, if we get some early goals, Saints, this could end up being a bit of a mauling and, and Bournemouth could leave the Premier League with a bit of a whimper. Uh, Saints, on the other hand, in terms of team news, there is no new injury concern. Uh, as you said, no new injuries, only uh, only Buffal and Gineppo. And again, we've rotated yesterday. So as Ralph says, we're going to be bringing in the big guns. So um, like you said, everything points towards a Saints win. Bournemouth fans, I'm sure, will be looking at that and thinking there's absolutely nothing going their way uh, you know, ahead of this game. And I think Saints for the win. Although, in the last six games between both sides, four of them have ended up in draws. So, um, generally, been quite a close contests. Bournemouth, of course, winning at St Mary's for the first time in a long time at Southampton earlier in the season, 3-1 on a Friday night football so Saints fans will want to get their uh, get their revenge. Well, one thing that almost confirms that Saints are getting a win this weekend is that on BBC, Mark Lawrenson has predicted a Bournemouth win. So if there's anything pointing towards a Southampton win, it's the fact that he's got Bournemouth down to win. And every time he does that, Saints seem to pick up the result. 
Although their performance against Manchester City in midweek, it was, you know, it was admirable. They only lost 2-1. They could have gotten something out of the game. But again, it's a different performance that they're going to have to put against Saints, against Man City. It's everyone behind the ball. Uh, Man City, we saw against Southampton, they pass you to death. They just try and just get about 80% possession. Um, For Bournemouth to contain that, that's really good. But against Southampton, they're going to have to come out of it. And I I am worried about some of their players, the likes of David Brooks, I think is a superb creative player. Callum Wilson, obviously your namesake, as well as always a threat. And Dominic Solanke, now he's got his goals. Obviously not as much of a threat, but still with confidence in a player does come like the flick-ons work, the, uh, the, the shots seem to creep in. Didn't have that luck against Manchester City, but against Saints, you never know. Junior Stanislas as well. He almost scored a fantastic free kick against City midweek. So there are definitely players that Bournemouth have that are danger men against, uh, against Southampton. But like you said, at the moment, Saints have rested the big guns. They're going to go all out. Ralph Hasenhutl has said that Saints will go into the game with the same desire to win that Bournemouth have. Some of that has been questioned on Twitter this afternoon as a silly comment. I don't think so, because I think that Saints will go into the match with a lot of desire. We saw that against Manchester United, the way that they kept on going, got that point. And of course, the desire against Brighton midweek to just try and push for that winner. Saints certainly don't look like a team that have got very little to play for. Callum, if you were to make an early score prediction for this weekend's game, you said it could be a mauling if Saints get early goals. If you were to just throw out an early score prediction, what would you go for? Uh, 3-1 Saints off the top of my head. Um, I think there'll be goals. And like you said, Bournemouth, Bournemouth did show signs of improvement. They, of course, won that strange game against Leicester where they weren't in the game and all of a sudden within five minutes they were 2-1 up and uh, and a man up and that ended up 4-1. Solanke was at the heart of the limited chances that they did create against Man City and he's a handful. And I think Eddie Howe will continue with him, potentially trying to partner him with, uh, with Callum Wilson and match up Saints in a a 4-4-2 but with them going forward against the Saints defence that you know is still dodgy they have improved but there are still goals to be had there I I think potentially both teams can still score Uh, I just think Saints have got better quality I don't know what your opinion is on Bournemouth's situation just before we move on from it but they have been a side that have added something to the Premier League in the last few seasons for me and that's been good attacking flair that kind of front three or front four once they added Brooks with Fraser King and Wilson was always exciting high scoring games the vitality was a difficult place to go this season completely lost that and um, and they are a side this season that you wouldn't really miss in the Premier League what I personally think, and I don't know if you agree or if there's anything you would add to this, but I think Eddie Howe is a manager that is absolutely brilliant at working with a certain type of player, a player you don't have to spend a lot of money on, a player that will fit a system and a player that will run through a brick wall for you. He also likes his technical players, but like many teams and many managers that we've seen, when you almost make that step up into a different league or into a different price bracket, and you have more money to spend, certain types of players that they bring in, they maybe don't get their value for money. And I don't think Bournemouth have at all, actually. I mean, I've got a list of players here for astonishing money for when you look at what, what type of player they are since they since they were promoted. And Eddie Howe's brought in some absolute dross. So this, this season, they, they brought in Dan Juma for 16 million. He's barely played. Flip Billing, who got relegated in almost a record-breaking team in Huddersfield, 15 million. He's not worth that. Lloyd Kelly has come in, who's only just started to play. He's obviously one for the future, the defender from Bristol City, 13 million. The season before that, Jefferson Lerma, 25 million pounds. Dominic Solanke, 20 million. All the way up, 19. Rico at left back, 13 and a half. Merpham, 12 and a half. David Brooks for 10 million, I would say, was a good signing. Season before that, Aki, 20 plus. Begovic for 10 million. And uh, Jordan Ibe, the season before, 16 million. These are big amounts of money. And a lot of these players, we almost forgot even play for Bournemouth anymore. I mean, before that, a phobie for 12 million. Tyrone Mings for 10. Max Gradle for 9. And Lewis Graben for 8.5 million. And that was the season that they came up. 
So for my money, there's about 15 players there that are all around 10 to 25 million pound bracket. And I don't know if you disagree, but apart from Aki and Brooks, I'd say that not a penny's been well spent. I would have to agree on a lot of those, especially Jordan Ide, Solanke, yeah, he scored his two goals, but for 20 million, you could have got Danny Ings. I think that Jefferson Lerma is actually one player who I think would suit a better side. He's actually a player that I think if Saints were to lose, well, obviously it's pretty it's it's pretty certain that they're going to lose Hoybier this season. I wouldn't actually mind if Saints were to invest in Lerma, whether that's the type of player that Ralph wants. I think he's actually been quite good in the middle. He's just gone under the radar a bit with how poor Bournemouth have been. Aki is, of course, the best one out of the lot. £20 million for, I'd say, a defender that is probably in today's market. Well, whatever today's market is now with the coronavirus situation, but it would certainly be you know, 40 million plus, I think. He's a very good young defender. Another person, another defender that if Bournemouth were to go down, I think Saints could could look at signing. But I think he'd actually be interesting larger clubs than Southampton, maybe the likes of Tottenham's, Everton's, Arsenal's, that sort of thing. Dan Juma, not, he's not done anything. Philip Billing, I think, is not, he's not bad. But if you want to be staying in the league, you've got to go for better players than that. Yeah, he's looking at a, a second relegation. I mean, like you said, uh, Jefferson Lerma, yeah, but to, for Bournemouth to be spending £25 million, pounds, you'd be expecting someone a hell of a lot better than, than Jefferson Lerma, especially considering they're a ball-playing side. And for me, he's not a ball-player. He's, he's just someone who's who's competitive, gives away a lot of fouls, gets a lot of yellow cards, and not an awful lot much for, for my money. Aki is the best one, and for £20 million, I mean, he was a player that was linked with Saints and was, you know, was my personal choice as a replacement for Van Dyke. Uh, we chose to go for Wesley Hoots as that left footed centre back for about 16 million, and the rest is history. You know, we've also signed Guijo Carrillo, so we haven't exactly got a, a perfect record in recent years, but certainly not the level that Bournemouth have. But looking ahead to that, I've, I've gone 3 1. Bournemouth must win. I think their fans would agree. Uh, what are you going with as a score prediction, Tom? I was actually thinking 3-1 myself. Um, it just seems like such an apt scoreline. 3-1 win seems to be the, uh, the, the the typical win for Saints over recent years, especially in the League One days when we faced Bournemouth. 3-1 win at then Dean Court, Ricky Lambert, Lee Barnard and Dean Hammond on that one. I think, yeah, Bournemouth, Bournemouth have to win. They have to come at Saints and I just think it's going to play into our hands. But you also got to think that Eddie Howe is also going to be telling his players that we've got they've got to go at them, but Southampton are so good on the counter. So it's going to be a really interesting tactical battle because Eddie Howe knows he's going to get the three points, but he knows just how dangerous Saints are going to be on the break. And they're just going to have to hope, I think, to catch Saints on an off day. Yeah, I've taken 3-1, though. So you're going to have to come up with a different score. Are you going to be brave and go with a fourth? Or are you going to uh, take I'm going, the goal? I'm going to go 5-1 five, five, Saints. 5-1 Saints. That's a brave one. We'll, uh, so we're both going the Saints wins, although we are uh, pretty sure we went for the same against Brighton. That didn't quite happen. Right, on to other news then. Let's briefly talk about the Saints kit. Uh, most of our listeners would have seen this already. So the goalkeeper kits have been brought out, both of them. The home kit has come out and the uh, the third kit. Still no sign of the away kit yet. But it is uh, the big news is it's 135 years and uh, 10 years on, it's the return of the sash. Yeah, massive fan of the sash. It's my favourite kit style. Uh, 135 years does seem a bit of an odd anniversary to be going back to your roots. You could have thought 130, but then, you know, 125. I like them. I do I do like them. I think that the, that the third kit could easily have been the home kit. I think that would have been a better choice to have as the, uh, as the first strip, because obviously, throwback to... The, uh, the very first kit and also that kit in League One. I think the white with the red sash goes really, really well. And whilst I do like the home kit in the block red with the white sash, it's going to be really interesting to see Saints play in that style of kit because we haven't seen uh, a kit for quite some for quite a few years since the 13-14 season under Pochettino where it's not been typical red and white stripes and it's been sort of a block red colour. I'm interested into... And you and I discussed this. I'm not sure what games they would be playing in the third kit. I don't think it's going to be that used, especially if Bournemouth were to go down. That's the third. The third kit has been usually used against uh, Wolves, Watford, and and Bournemouth. But it all depends on what the colour of the away kit is. There is not confirmed. There's rumours. Yeah. There's rumours that it's blue, black, green. No, I. So we 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 don't know heads nor tails of it. So obviously, I do like the red one. 
But the oh, I, I, I'm just interested into what teams the third kit will be used against. I, I imagine Newcastle, but then Leeds playing white. So it wouldn't be that one. We're probably playing. Well, we the speculate, kit. don't we? We speculate, but it, we have to see what the what the away kit is yet. Yeah. And that, as you say, it might be another one of those seasons where, uh, let's be honest, the, the clubs are then make third kits that barely get used um, because it's another it's another kit for fans to buy and for money to come in. Like fifty five pound a shirt. Why not release a third kit? I think I, I'm a real fan of, of both kits. Actually, the uh, the home and the away. I like the block red with the sash. It is something different, you know. It, it's a, it's different because uh, under Cortese, when the red one came along, there seemed to be a, a, a push for a permanent change away from the stripes, which ninety nine percent of fans were against. I'm I'm not too worried about veering away from the stripes for a single season. You know, the sash is there. Ten years ago in League One, that kit was uh, was was really nice, commemorative, and um, and I've got I've got to say, you know, this this similar one we've got now with the gold trim on it is really nice. But I do like the home one. I think I think the third kit is the most popular one. But it's, it's typical, isn't it? Because I didn't like any of the kits that Saints were given this year. I think the sponsor. The way that it was put on the kit was poor, like it'd come off at any minute and just wasn't a fan of any of them. Um, so didn't buy any of them. Typically, uh, I want all of them this season. Um, the only thing I would say is uh, that kit, those kits would be really nice and one of the best that we've had in a while if the sponsor wasn't so ugly. But, uh, you know, what can you do? So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll keep uh, our ears to the ground and see. Also, the goalkeeper kit as well is, for the first time in a long time, I think people... Really liking Alex McCarthy's kit in the kind of yellow, but almost strange, almost like a giraffe print type thing. We've seen with a lot of kits um, recently, in especially this season, Man City with that kind of mosaic style. See, uh, sort of, the people are looking outside the box a little bit, and uh, it's a dangerous game. But yeah, once fans are back in the stadium, and we'll come on to talk about that. Hopefully, we'll see a lot of those sashes. Uh, around St Mary's. I just wanted to get your opinion on this. If Southampton kept the design for the away kit the same as the other two, so we've got a sash, which would be your two colours of choice as the main and the secondary colour? Because I'm a massive fan of yellow and blue combination. I'd probably go for a yellow yeah. with a dark blue sash. What would you go for? Yeah, same same as you. Yeah, yellow with blue sash. Historically, you know, especially if we're, if we're going with, with history of the club and um, 135 years, albeit a strange one, as you say, uh, a strange birthday, but yeah, yellow with the blue sash, yellow shorts, sorry, yellow socks, blue shorts. I think that would be best uh, for us. Ten years ago, it was black with the red sash. I would just suggest that maybe there's not going to be a sash because otherwise uh, they would have released it with the others, potentially. I'm not going to sit here and try and think about what it could be <laughs> based on the other teams that we're playing and why we would have a third kit. But as you said, I think without Bournemouth there, is there much use for uh, is there much use for that white one? As we said, any team in red will play it, you know, will wear it against. But anyway, we could go on about that for a long time. But yellow and blue would be fantastic. I get a feeling it's not going to be a sash, and we've got no news as to when it's going to uh, when it's going to be out or when when we're even going to get a first glimpse. Have we? So uh, well, I haven't heard. All the information I've heard is that it will be sometime in August. So I know that's just sort of throwing a small stone into a massive pool and thinking that you got it spot on. But yeah, I've heard that it's going to be in August, and maybe <laughs> with the white and the red sash, it could be like well, our first year in the prem- back in the Premier League where we had that. You know, we had the, we had the white kit, which then after production was realised that we couldn't actually wear it in any of our away games apart from Liverpool so we ended up yeah. taking that the uh, the championship kit the yellow with the uh, the, the Brazil kit which I, I, I love the Brazil kit it's still one of my favourite away kits but it may be, maybe Saints will use it for an, the FA Cup or the Cup competitions who knows anyway as you said we could deliberate they, they brought that in the end they realised that and they said right uh, just to get some use out of the, the white kit that people have bought we're going to use it as our um, home kit in the FA Cup. And then we lost in our first game against Chelsea at St Mary's. So uh, never to be seen again. Don't know if you've seen, just just quickly, don't know if you've seen the training kits and the uh, specifically the pre-match shirt. But, I mean, that is one for the, uh, that's one for the outdoor festivals, isn't it? I, I, I wouldn't even know how to describe that. It's kind of... Um, Marbled. You know that fad that people have got with, uh, with how they're painting their walls and those kind of triangles of, of random colours. It's mainly dark blue, but it's segmented randomly, almost like petals. And then you've got some lighter blue and then some um, 
some absolutely rascal peach bits in there as well. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if I love it or hate it yet, but I think it's going to split fans. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that squeezy toy that's got like um, that squeezy ball that's got like the uh, the netting around it. And when you squeeze it and it pops out of different colours, it's something oh, just... Yeah. Yeah, you, you get me. It, I've I've seen it. I saw it briefly about an hour ago, and I was just thinking, is that is, is that is that real? I, I mean, it's different. It's like a tie dye sort of thing. Someone's gone putting a few marbles on a shirt and then just throwing it in the washing machine and just hope for the best. It, it's certainly different. Uh, that's all I can I say. At first, I, I sort of first thought it was the away kit, Tom, and then uh, I think they realised if they're going to go down that channel of putting a bit of a rascal design in there, like some other teams. Um, maybe start with the pre-match shirt or the training kit that won't be uh, won't be seen too much, and see if they can uh, see if they can get away with that. Just putting their toe in the water. Right, on to other things then. Let's talk transfer rumours because there's been there's ten days until the um, until the transfer window opens, which is really strange considering that we're not even at the end of the season yet. But you know we're in strange times. Ten days to go. Arsenal has had a few things to say today about Pierre Emil Hoybier and about Carl Walker-Peters. But let's talk first about a potential news going around on the rumour mill of Saints finally getting a first-choice centre-back, which all fans, I'm sure, will uh, have been crying out for for a good couple of years now. Yeah, I can't say I've heard too much about him. Mohamed uh, Salisu or Salisu, a Ghanaian defender, highly rated in Spain. He's, I think he's got the highest stat for most clearances made. But then again... Uh, so did Wesley Hoot uh, in the Italian league, and that didn't bode well. So I think that, I mean, it's exciting. Obviously, if we're getting to the point now where Ralph is making his signings um, for his team, it seems that if he fits the mould and Ralph wants to get him, then I'm all for that. Last summer, Danzo was very much sort of a last-ditch attempt at bringing in a centre-back that didn't work. But the other two players, Gianapo and Adams, I mean, Jennifer, he looks tricky. He looks like he can do do the job, but it just hasn't happened for him consistently this season. Shea Adams, I mean, his build-up play is fantastic, but as a manager, what can you do about hit, uh, your striker hitting the ball in the back of the net? I think, and we could, we've we've discussed this for hours um, beforehand, so we're not gonna we won't ex- expand too much on about it. But it's a case of Shea Adams. He's got that goal. Hopefully, he can kick on next season and get and get some more. But Sally Sue, you know, we've been crying out for a first choice centre back. I think Stevens Bednarik have done admirably. But if we want to move on to the next level, then we need to upgrade that back four. I think. 100% of fans would be of the same opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, he comes from Valladolid, uh, the league, for 16th with a game left to play, so survived in La Liga. Um, and, and as you say, we've been crying out for someone in that mould for a long, long time, um, since Van Dyke, I'd argue. And it's, it's a player that Saints have been chasing because it's not the first time we've been linked with him. Back in January, we were linked as well. Um, earlier on in the season, so uh, yeah, and as you say, isn't it isn't it isn't it testament to Arsenal at all that that now you know after so many poor signings and poor seasons, poor performances, we're saying lines like uh, don't know much about him, but if Ralph wants him, then I want him. Yeah, to have trust in your manager and what he's trying to put together. No one will know what kind of centre back suits better than Ralph Arsenal. And to be honest. Um, any centre-back is good news right now for the Saints. A couple of quotes today from Arsene Hurtel, and it's not necessarily what he said, but it's more what he didn't choose to say, I think, that speaks volumes. Um, firstly, apparently, Hoiberg, uh, Everton and Tottenham have been interested in a while, and services are in talks about the player. Both sides, I think, are willing to offer a player-plus-cash deal. Now, um, Hoiberg in his last year of his contract. Of course, Carl Walker-Peters on loan from Tottenham. No interest that I'm aware of from Saints and any Everton players thus far, but apparently they're willing to uh, discuss that option. So I don't know from Everton if there are any players in particular that you would look at as a potential player plus cash swap or just a player swap. But what he said, Ralph, was um, that he's with the club, he's contracted to the club, and we would, of course, like him to stay for as long as possible. But any transfer of Hoiberg needs to suit all parties, including the player in both clubs. So the way he was saying it, it sounds like he knows that he's going to go. Uh, but of course, you think really it's, it's saving face. And uh, as soon as you admit that, suddenly the price tag goes down. Whereas if you say something like, um, well, 
you know, playing hardball, you've got to offer us the right amount of money, then then that's what you're going to get. Yeah, I think that's exactly right because I think I think it's clear from the past few games the way that Hoybier has been on the bench that Ralph has been planning for life without him while still having him involved, especially last night. I think it, the Everton one is really interesting because I'm struggling to pick out any particular player that Saints would be interested that Everton would also be willing in involve, involving in a deal because you think of Everton's best players, Dinia, Richarlison, they're not going to be part of any exchange deal because their value, value will be far greater um, to them than signing Hoybier and potentially losing one of them. So I imagine Ever- it, it depends on which player Everton are willing to let go. I mean, I'm just trying to think maybe it'd be one of the youth players such as Tom Davis or something like that. And there's no one that really yeah, he's, stands he's out. For me, I think off the top of my head, I think Tom Davis, a central midfielder for a central midfielder, but also really is in the mould of a Ralph Harsner's or team. You know, it, I, I think he could see him and James Ward-Prowse working. He's a hard worker, good fitness, puts a foot in, but he's also a good footballer. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a lad, a local lad, and whether or not he would want to leave is a different story. Uh, but he doesn't get a great amount of game time. He's not exactly first on the team sheet under Ancelotti. And clearly, the fact that the manager wants another central midfielder suggests that maybe Tom Davis isn't there for the long haul. He's young, what is he, 21, 22? And he's been playing in the Premier League for a few seasons and he just seems to fit the bill for Hassan Hurtle. And uh, if, if you're going to sell Hoybjerg when he's in his last year and you can get a little bit of money and you can get a player like Tom Davis, I think that would be a, a really good bit of business for the club. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think he's uh, sort of maybe plateaued off a little bit after the early hype. Before the Everton game, I was looking at their... Uh, their fans forum just thinking who they should start and some of them were saying please don't start Tom Davis which maybe maybe it's a case of he just doesn't work in an Ancelotti system obviously Everton fans after getting Ancelotti were expecting a push for Europe for the end of the season that hasn't happened and it's just a case of seeing out their fixtures and then getting their transfers in in the summer and then go again next season that's when it's really going to kick in I think I agree with you that he would suit a Hasenhutl system. He's young. He's able to be molded for the uh, for, for for the club. And you know, he, he he's young. He's got a lot of energy, a lot of ability to work in that press. Just going on to the the other side of the coin with the Tottenham bid, we all know who the player in exchange would be, Carl Walker Peters. And I think that I think that deal would suit Saints more than the Tom Davis one, purely because I think Carl Walker Peters. I was very dubious about his signing at the start when he did when he did initially join. I thought it would be a bit like Danzo, just more of like a a stopgap just to keep us tied over. But he's actually been really impressive, and he changed the game when he came on. He, as I said in the commentary, we had far greater mobility with him at right back and. He's shown that over the past few games as well. If we're looking at signing a right back, which is pretty evident, then unless there is someone out there better that we are 100% confident that we can get, maybe someone like Joaquin Myler, then Carl Walker-Peters is the man for me and therefore Tottenham's bid would be the one to accept. However, obviously it depends on where... Hoybier wants to. I do think it. I'm not. I'm. I don't. I don't. I, I'm not laughing at Hoybier whatsoever. But I think after saying that he wants to play Champions League football, when the only two teams that are supposedly interested in you are Everton and Tottenham, it, they're they're not going to be in the Champions League. No, it's not to say he wants to be winning the Champions League and winning the uh, domestic leagues. Um, can you get much more of a sideward step than moving from a team in twelfth? to a team in 11 who are on exactly the same amount of points. Uh, I don't know, but my opinion is slightly different to yours on Kyle Walker-Peters. Um, I think his stock with Saints fans rose dramatically uh, after the Man City game. But you've got to remember that Saints play in that style two times a season. When Man City come to town and when we go to the Etihad and everyone thought and everyone at that back five were fantastic. But 36 games a season out of 38, that's not what you're going to be asking of Kyle Walker-Peters. I think he changed the game in, in you know, along with others when he came on against Brighton. But I've still not seen... What I see Kyle Walker-Peters as is a right-back that we could get on loan when we desperately needed a right-back. Doesn't mean that he's our only option and we're not obliged to sign him. So 
if we've been looking at other right backs that are actually better than Kyle Walker Peters, then I don't think we should be too rash to say, oh, let's sign him because he's auditioned, he's been seven out of ten, and that will do me. We're we're looking for better than that. We're looking for players that are going to push us on. And um, Kyle Walker Peters, I don't think is a bad player. I think he's by far and away better than what we've got, uh, which isn't a lot. Is is Jan Valery, and I don't rate him. So. Yeah, I think he would he would be a solid signing for Saints. Um, I haven't quite seen what I'd like to see from him going forward because he's he was so good when he played for Tottenham, whipping that ball in and setting up goals for for Harry Kane. Uh, I tell you a quote that Hartsnetzel said today when asked about Carl Walker Peters and any potential involvement in a swap deal with Tottenham for Hoiberg. He said what he said was we've got a long list uh, of right backs. We we are definitely improving that position over the summer and we've got a long list of right backs and Carl Walker-Peters was the one on that list that would help us in the short term so essentially they, he knows we need a right back we all know we need a right back we needed one during the season and Walker-Peters was available on loan so we took him from that list but I think Ralph might just have a couple of preferred choices above him that Saints are working on um, and without dismissing Carl Walker-Peters just wants to see if uh, if there's a chance of us bringing in someone like you said, Maya. You know, anyone that that he might see that actually fits his system and his mould. I think uh, Carl Walker Peters is a good Premier League right back, but certain attributes might be lacking in Carl Walker Peters that Ralph Hasenhutl wants in a right back to fit in that system. Whereas the difference with him and yeah, we're saying Tom Davis as an example, for instance. There's no talk that it might actually be potential for him to come down, but we'd be signing Tom Davis in a central midfield that um, has competition for places. So he's not someone who's going to come straight in and improve our first team immediately. He's a young player, and Ralph Harson will buy young players and improves them. So for, from his point of view, it could be a good move too, or someone like him. But with a right back. We need someone who's going to come in, hit the ground running, and is going to be a, um, a first-choice player who's going to play as many games as he can in the season and will improve us defensively, but as a team. And uh, Walker-Peters, a couple of injuries since he came in, but um, I, I think he's been on and off. Since lockdown, he has improved, but I'm, I'm looking for a player that you, you can trust defensively. That Martial goal, for instance, was really poor from his positional point of view. He let him have that shot. And I look at that and I think, we need a right back who's not going to do that. So as I'd call him a solid signing, but I get a feeling from what Ralph said that um, he might have his eye elsewhere. I think also that, uh, your opinion, and I, I certainly agree, I think it also comes down to the fact that over the past couple of seasons, after the, the quality of player that we've been experiencing, that we've been getting used to when we're challenging for Europe, and now to the form of the players over the past couple of years, it's almost that we could be just getting a bit excited when we see a player that's actually competent in their position and we're happy yeah. with someone who can just do the job that we expect them to do. Whereas now we're in a position where we want to be challenging for top eight next season. We're going to need to go for someone who doesn't just do a six or a seven out of 10 every game, but someone who can spark us into life when, when, that's, when that's what we need. So no, I, complete, I completely agree with that. And I understand that, you know, not overhyping Kyle Walker-Peters, because I do think that he's worthy of the praise that he's been getting. But yeah, I, I do agree that we're now in a position where 7 out of 10 is all right, but is not what we need to go forward. And someone made a good point about Shea Adams last night. I can't remember who on Twitter it was, but I agree with it, is that he, whilst he looks like he's going to be a good player, if we are to progress up the league and challenge for those top nine, top eight positions. He's got to start putting those chances away or we're going to have to think about signing a striker who will put those chances away. I'm not have to sign a striker anyway. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure on Obafemi and I think what would be really good for Obafemi is to have a season in the championship. I think Shane Long signed a two-year, it was a two-year deal. I think Shane Long signed, wasn't it, a few weeks mm -hmm. ago. But he's getting old and he provides something um, and then you've got Che Adams and of course Danny Ings and when you play two up front you know if someone gets injured and Obafemi's on loan suddenly you're uh, you're down to, to two strikers um, and if it's Danny Ings that gets injured you're down to two strikers that don't really score a lot of goals so I think 
uh, we might be looking at someone who can work in, uh, when you play two up front, it's good to have a, a quartet. I always think back to 99, Man United, of, of York, Cole, Sheringham, Solskjaer. It's always good to have four. We have a four at the moment, but I think we could definitely improve on it, even if it's alone. As far as the right-backs go, um, I'd be looking, I mean, me and you have talked about Matty Cash. He's in the playoffs, potentially, but if he's in the championship, you know, it'd be interesting to see if he's someone. You mentioned Myler as well, but uh, I'd, you know, if we were going to take someone from uh, from a big club and maybe another loan, I'd, I'd be really keen to see Maurice Williams from Liverpool, especially considering that he's not going to get much game time behind Alexander-Arnold, unless, of course, he gets moved into a forward position. But Maurice Williams is, um, he looks like if he was behind any right-back other than Trent, he'd be pushing for a start next season. And I think he would be a real coup for a team like us. And from his point of view, if he was going to go on loan somewhere, we're better than Southampton under Ralph Hasner to where youth players and young players progress and get better and better. So uh, that, that would be where I would look initially. And when you compare someone like him to Carl Peters, that signing would excite me. The only thing is we don't know what he's like defensively because he plays in a Liverpool side where they have to do a lot of defending. But just off the top of my head, you know, someone with that level, uh, especially going forward, is potentially better than a solid signing of, of Walker Peters. I think someone who's up and coming, young, can fit into Rab's system, that would be a good signing. But of course, we could we could talk for hours and hours about where we need to improve, what we need to improve, who we need to bring in, who should go. And of course, when the transfer window kicks in later this month, or at the beginning of next month, that's going to that's something that we can do a podcast all about. One potential incoming, however, to St Mary's that in October is that of fans, Callum. What what news have you got about that? Yeah, well, I think you probably all heard. Our listeners have all heard um, the PM talking today. It's all over the news uh, that a trial is going to be put in place for uh, arenas, uh, indoor, outdoor stadia to welcome back human beings you know and during this covid nightmare that we've had and it's we're at the point now where with precautions we might be able to trial having a, a certain amount of, of fans for instance in a stadium and those trials are going to take place in august i'm not sure where but it's not going to be it's not going to be sports arenas it's not going to be football stadiums with with the hope that if everything goes well we will see fans and supporters in some capacity entering uh, the stadium is in the Football League, which is great news for the lower league clubs in terms of revenue, but also in the Premier League for, for atmosphere. I think it's likely that, it, well, very likely that it will be maybe at half capacity. You know, you're not going to get 32,000 in, in October. I don't think that's going to be the case. But they'll slowly bring it back as they're doing with everything else away from football as well. Slowly um, trying to get back to normality uh, with the idea uh, Boris Johnson saying that hopefully the aim is by Christmas to be back to uh, some form of uh, normal life. And if that means that uh, St Mary's is full with 32,000 people and uh, everyone feels safe in doing so, then um, then more fantastic news. Yeah, absolutely fantastic news that we'll so be getting those fans back into the stadium. And of course, from like a personal point of view of you, of yourself and myself, it'd be great to get back to St. Mary's and get behind the mic whilst we've been really enjoying doing it for Alamarch Sport on their audio description companion via via Zoom and we've been uh, chatting over whilst watching a TV. It doesn't quite come close to the real thing of being in the stadium and describing the uh, as a move unfolds and the crowd getting excited and starting to stand up from their seats. I think it's been great having football back. It's been great watching it on the television. But of course, it's just not the same with no fans, uh, as I think a lot of fans will agree. We were chatting our last podcast with uh, John Weeks, the uh, the voice of St. Mary's, about the difference between Shea Adams' goal against Man City in an empty stadium and just imagining what it would have been like for the stadium to have been full when that goal goes in. And then just the, the, the building tension around the whole ground in the final 10 minutes of that game. And then the roar of relief and euphoria when the full-time whistle would have gone as the fans all rallied together as that 12th man on the pitch, Callum. Yeah, and it's something that Arsenal, as we all know, and our listeners well know, Arsenal has uh, brought that back to the club. You know, as soon as he came in, it was, we need to be going in the same direction together. The youth 
first team, everyone needs to be playing via this um, this book that he's, he's drawn up. The fans need to be behind the team, you know, the community, the foundation, everything. And that was really important to him. And the fans were a massive part. And uh, and that kind of um, that kind of idea and that theory was brought to life and was a big reason for Saints staying in the Premier League under Harsin at all in the last season. So yeah, it will be important. It will be important for fans. You know, the day that they're able to step back in, obviously things will be different. You know, there's going to be social distancing. They're talking about making it safe for fans to move around within the stadium so I think for the likes of yeah, going to the toilet or going to get food and drink there'll be one way systems like there were at the supermarkets that they're going to be plastic up for when you know people are serving food and drink as there are in the supermarkets all those sorts of things but the main the main thing is that everyone's safe and once we know that that is that is definite then we should be able to push on with uh, having live audiences uh, and spectators and fans in and it'll make a big difference to the players because it's a strange strange thing at the moment and and how good would it be for uh, a Danny Ings or a Che Adams or someone to score a goal and it's reciprocated with a uh, with a cheer maybe not a full house but some form of cheer within a stadium back at St Mary's and, and away from home as well with the I don't know how the away fans will work. I don't know if that will be something that they'll be pushing immediately, but um, at least having home fans there. Absolutely. And when that moment comes back, it will be absolutely fantastic and one that we can all look forward to. But promising signs from the Prime Minister today announcing that uh, there is the potential of fans returning by October. Callum, it's Friday evening. We've discussed all we can and we've got a lot of football over the weekend to look forward to. We've got actually another episode of Matchday Memoirs coming your way on Tuesday. Well, we'll be recording on Tuesday and then it'll be released later in the week where we'll be chatting to Steve Forbes, one of the two who do the pre-match and half-time entertainment at St. Mary's whilst also working on the live post-match and pre-match shows with Kenzie Benali on the Southampton Facebook page. We're looking forward to bringing him onto the show and chatting about his match day memoir. And taking you through that half-time relay. Very exciting half-time relay that is all. I wish we had, uh, I wish we had an opportunity to commentate on it ourselves. Uh, and maybe, maybe, maybe next season we can work on working that in. It's been a pleasure, as always, uh, doing this episode with you. Hope you have a good weekend. And, of course, hopefully you and I are behind the mic on Sunday when Southampton take on Bournemouth in that derby that's not a derby that could potentially have massive consequences. If you want to send any questions into the podcast, you can find us on Twitter at under underscore saints. You can find myself on Twitter at T214Murray. And you find me at Callum Wilson21. Thanks very much for choosing to listen to our podcast today. Uh, this has been Under the Lights.